Hello, my friends. Today, Joel is talking to Rohan, the CIO of Chase at JP Morgan Chase. And they discuss the cool tech behind running the largest bank in the United States. How Chase has been hiring a diverse set of engineers from coding boot camps rather than traditional four-year degrees and J.P. Morgan Chase's strategy for keeping all 12,000 plus employees on the same page. All of this right here, right now, on the Modern CTO Podcast. This is the Modern CTO Podcast. I guess the journey starts many years ago, but I, I was in D.C. after I graduated school and I went to school in Philadelphia at, at uh, University of Pennsylvania. And then I moved to Maryland uh, to get my first job at Lockheed Martin. And this is at a time sort of like, you know, dot com uh, excitement back in the day. Uh, and, um, you know, I had a choice, go to a small startup, which seemed very intriguing at the time, or join uh, a very large defense uh, uh, global aerospace company. And much to the, you know, urging from my my father, I went the route of joining Lockheed Martin. Good news, I guess, is that that startup didn't last very long. And so probably was a, was, turned out to be sage advice from my, from my dad. And so I went to work at Lockheed Martin and, um, you know, got my start there uh, as a software engineer. And over the course of 13 years, had a number of different roles uh, uh, over there. Uh, everything from you know software engineering, information technology, did some cybersecurity work, uh, electronic warfare work, stuff for intelligence community customers and three-letter agencies, and all sorts of fun stuff. And so my last job at Lockheed Martin was I was leading a, a business that was facing the Defense Department and the intelligence community. Um, offering uh, cybersecurity, electronic warfare systems and capabilities uh, to the U.S. government. Uh, so that was super fun. And then I got a call to, you know, consider coming to J.P. Morgan Chase. And uh, I took the call, interviewed with the uh, with the bank, and joined the bank in 2014. And uh, I've been here so heading into almost seven years, and it's just been, you know, fantastic. Uh, as a as a as a journey for me, and um, so at the bank, I've had two uh, main roles. One was uh, I was the global chief information security officer uh, for the bank, and so uh, led a team of three thousand people and about six hundred million dollars a year that we spend on cybersecurity, defending the bank um, globally. Uh, and then now, for the past almost three years, uh, I run uh, all of uh, retail technology for for Chase. And so for uh, anything from, you know, uh, credit cards, mortgages, you know, uh, auto loans, uh, checking and savings, the branches, ATMs, Chase.com, the mobile app, wealth management, um, all those things are, are uh, all of that technology that faces customers is the, is the team that I lead, um, you know, at Chase. And so it's been, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, really enjoy being in financial services and being at Chase and uh, lots to talk about, but that's been a little bit of a model my uh about my journey i love it so when you were like age 10 what did you want to be when you grew up <laughs> uh, i was going to be a doctor when i was age 10 and so actually i went to school um as a as a pre-med uh student uh, i didn't last very long i think i lasted for like maybe like one semester 
And I remember coming home and telling my dad, uh, this ain't going to happen. Um, time for me to switch, <laughs> switch out of this pre-med track um, and let me get into something that I always had a, an affinity and sort of a, a passion for uh, computers and engineering. And so I switched into a computer and telecommunications and electrical engineering program. Um, and then the rest, you know, took from there. But I, yeah, I was, I, uh, I went to school uh, pursuing pre-med and, and decided that wasn't going to be the thing for me. And so I'm curious to, to know, like, you go from there all the way up to being the, is your official title a CIO at J.P. Morgan Chase? Yeah, CIO for Chase um, at, at J.P. Morgan Chase, yep. Okay. So there's there's got to be so many different areas where you can spend your time to the point where it's overwhelming. How do you figure out where you need to allocate your resources? Yeah, no, it's, that's, uh, that's great. There probably isn't, you know, there's, there's too many things to do and not enough time in the day for sure. And uh, where I spend my time, so first, just a little bit of context, I guess, you know, JP Morgan Chase has 50,000 people, 50,000 plus people in his technology organization uh, and um, more than $12 billion that we spend, you know, on uh, technology. So it's just a massive um, enterprise. And the Chase side of things, which is the retail portion of, of the overall uh, bank, is, is about uh, 12,000 people and $4 billion uh, that we spend on, uh, on technology. So that's just a little bit of the landscape that, that we're doing. So I'm, I'm proudly leading a team of, of 12,000 plus technologists and engineers who build all the customer experiences that everyone engages with us on every single day. So there's lots of things that I need to spend my time on. Um, but probably where I spend the most of my time is uh, on talent and with the team. And so constantly obsessing over the fact of, do we have the right leaders in place? Do we have the right talent in place? How do we advance talent in the organization? How do we put people in the right roles, set them up for success? And all of that is certainly one big category of where I spend my time. And then the second one I'd say is, you know, on product development with the team. And so what are the experiences we're creating for customers? Are we obsessing over the details? How are we building it? Are we building it in the, in the way that um, lets us scale? Um, and when I say scale, we've got, you know, more than 40 million active uh, mobile customers on our platform uh, and more than 50 million active digital customers overall. And so there's a lot of people who touch and use um, our experiences every single day. And so obsessing over the details of how we build software, how we build our technology and spending time with the teams is another big category of, of, of where I spend my, uh, my time on a day-to-day basis. And I'm an engineer at heart. And so I love, you know, getting into the weeds with the, uh, with the team and, and really spending time uh, understanding uh, and focusing on the customer experience and making sure we get it right. You spend a lot of time on talent. What do you look for when bringing on new members to the team? You know, it's um, it, it's a great question, and I and I'd say um, obviously depends a little bit about what roles and what things we're we're talking about. But first, let me just talk about um, uh, I'll talk about leaders first. So, leaders in in in, uh, in this organization have a few attributes and certainly things that uh, I'm looking for. Uh, first, you have to be a great people leader. That is like table stakes, right? You know, you got to know how to lead, inspire, and grow teams, and you got to be someone that people want to follow. You also have to be a great engineer and a great technologist. Uh, and so, I want leaders in this organization who can um, debate the details, who can get into the technology and understand how software is built and created, 
and like have that conversation with engineers in the organization. And fundamentally, I do think engineers want to work for other engineers who understand their craft. Uh, and so like that is what I would say for the leadership uh, aspect uh, of this. And people who um, uh, just have a constant sense of urgency and want to like continue to push forward and get better and improve. For people that we hire sort of, you know, as engineers in the organization, you know, I'd say our viewpoint on this has evolved over time. Uh, and what do I mean by that? You know, certainly we, we like to hire people who have a strong computer science background. And the vast majority of what we're hiring is, is all software engineering uh, talent. But what has changed is you don't necessarily have to have a four-year computer science degree um, to come get a job in software engineering at JP Morgan Chase. We uh, have invested quite a bit in people who come through alternative or non-traditional backgrounds, folks who may go through a nonprofit boot camp, you know, folks who you know, maybe did a biology degree or did a math degree or something else and want to pivot into software engineering. And we have development programs for all of them to bring them in. And the most important attribute when you go through that is not whether they can, you know, whether they can, uh, you know, uh, write Java or, or anything other very, very specific thing. It's that, that do they have the aptitude the, and the mindset and the hunger and the thirst to learn? Uh, and what we find is that when we combine that along with our training and development programs in a couple of years time. And you compare them versus other software engineers who may have come from a more traditional path. Sometimes you can't tell the difference. And that, that I think has been an evolution in sort of like how we think about keeping an open aperture on, uh, on talent. We have people who are musicians, people who worked in the restaurant industry, people who were mathematicians, people who worked in science, and they've all decided they want to go try their hand at, at software and creating systems at scale and and they're doing it and we invest a lot to help equip them with the right uh, skills and know-how and the right opportunities to, to be able to practice and, and do it at a in a meaningful way um, at, at, at chase I love that so I saw that you were you know at Lockheed Martin for 12 plus years you've been here at JP Morgan for seven plus years what why do you stay what causes you to stick around? Yeah. So for me, you know, the most important thing is to be at a place where I have a real sense of purpose um, and a mission, if you will. Right. Uh, and so certainly, you know, in the defense community, I had that where we're doing things, you know, for the country, uh, for national security reasons. Um, and you saw, felt a real sense of like a higher purpose that you were uh, a part of. Equally, I feel that at J.P. Morgan Chase, it was actually the reason why I came here was this bank uh, is one of the most systemically important financial institutions in the world. You know, it processes an incredible amount of money on a day-to-day -day basis. We have relationships with more than half of the households in the country have a relationship with Chase. Um, and so it's a very important part of a lot of people's lives on a matter that is very important to them, their finances, their money. Uh, and so like, there aren't many things that are more personal than money and like and finances and, and helping people have, you know, uh, develop the right financial behaviors and, and health and all that. That to me is the reason why I'm here. It's that purpose. It's the why. It's the it's the it's the what are we doing that really matters to people? And we're doing it at a, at a scale that's incredible. Uh, you know, uh, you know, the tens of millions of people who interact with our platform every single day. Uh, and so like the combination of scale, the combination of, of sort of purpose very clearly uh, are sort of like the two big reasons, the, the big reasons up here. 
I'd say a, uh, another one, which is really important to me, is a chance to work with just really, really smart people every single day. Uh, every day, you know, I, I meet new people uh, at the bank uh, and the pr- people I work with every single day. And the folks here are just brilliant. And I learn from them. Uh, and so like that makes me better. It pushes me um, and it shows me areas that I don't know yet. And it gives me a chance to kind of like try out new things and, and get to know uh, areas that I don't uh, don't have a background in. And so like the chance to be part of that um, is also just exciting. I like it. I'm a, I'm a fan, by the way. I, I am a customer of Chase. And uh, the, the reason why was I was driving by and I saw the blue ATM. <laughs> this is like years ago. And I, I drove up. I'm like, all right, I'll get an account there if they have like a really sweet like UI interface on their ATM. And you guys did. Because <laughs> that is so important to me. At the time, I was at this bank um, regions. And it was like living in the 1900s. It was really poor. And I was like, you guys are, they're, they're not a small community bank. They're pretty large, but they had made no investment in the user experience. And then I saw that there were a couple, there was really only, when I did the research, there was really only two companies at the time that were advanced. Um, and it was Wells Fargo and Chase. Those were the two companies that I think led the transformation for other people and forced other people to have to invest significantly in their user experiences. So thank you for that. Well, Joel, first, you know, thanks for being a customer. Um, and now you know who to call if you've ever got a question or like <laughs> something you see. Um, I get, you know, folks all the time who ping me and like, hey, I saw this thing or that thing or, you know, we have, you know, like everybody, there's sometimes we have bugs and stuff and we go and fix them. And so like, just, you know, now you know who to call. And so like, send that stuff in. I obsess over those details. Um, and yeah, like as far as, as we're concerned, like we, yeah, yes, we have uh, an award-winning app and uh, you know, we've been recognized multiple times for our mobile experience and our digital experience um, and the uh, customer satisfaction that we, that folks get when, uh, when working with us and banking with us. Uh, and we're very proud of that. Uh, that said, there's always more to do. Uh, and we are just investing in uh, creating the best experiences possible and constantly innovating uh, and updating the app and updating the experience and, and, and all that for customers. So lots to do. Where are you located physically? I'm uh, north of the city. I'm north of New York City. So uh, uh, where I live and uh, but um, where I'm actually right now is in midtown Manhattan, just right outside Grand Central uh, Terminal in, uh, uh, in good old New York City. So great to be here. And actually, just over the past you know, it's going to be back actually in the office uh, since over the past, call it 18 months, certainly uh, didn't leave my driveway much. Um, I'm sure is the case for many people with the with the pandemic. Uh, and so it has been nice to get back in the office. And, uh, you know, we've been encouraging people to get back in the office and what we call sort of a hybrid model, uh, which is sort of like, a, you know, two to three days in the office, two to three days at home, uh, because, you know, people want flexibility to be able to uh, work from home uh, on an occasional basis, but the office has real sort of value. And at least for me, coming to the office has been really great because, you know, what normally would have been like a 30 minute Zoom meeting is now a two minute conversation with somebody real quick. And like you have all these, you know, you know, in-person interactions, and it's just easier to build relationships in person than over a camera. And so uh, the office has been great. Glad to be back. And, uh, you know, we're, we're doing this like hybrid thing is, uh, is our approach to uh, returning to the office. 
I like it. And I, as a person who's done, you know, 400 of these over, <laughs> over Zoom, I can tell you the relationships that I have where like I'm on a basis where I'm texting people is, you know, when I'm in their city and we end up hanging out and developing like a, like a genuine long-term relationship. And so that, that I, I am a hundred percent certain that it's easier to develop relationships in person. Yeah. Joel, where are you actually? So today I'm in a lovely hotel in Austin. I am in the middle of a seven week trip around the United States. So we are on like the last week here. We went all over from uh, Nebraska, Montana, uh, Denver, Austin, and then back down to Florida. That's incredible. And Austin's a great city. Uh, it's been about three years or so since I've been to Austin, but I uh, love being down there. Oh yeah. And so my home base is, uh, in, in Tampa, Florida, like just South of Tampa. And, uh, yeah. And we went fully remote after or when COVID happened, but we've got, you know, team members in Orlando and, and, uh, in our city and then all over the United States. So what we do to get our sense of in person is at the end of every quarter, we fly everyone to some central location for a team dinner. Oh, that's really great. I mean, that's, that's exactly it, right? You want to be able to keep those relationships going and, and uh, be able to interact with people in person. So that's fantastic. That's fantastic. I wanted to, um, I was looking at the notes and Adam had said that you guys are doing some pretty cool stuff with fraud detection. I want to, are you excited about that? I want to hear about it. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, first for me, at least um, with the background that I have, uh, fraud is oh, it just, uh, you know, a great sort of natural pivot between my background in cybersecurity as well as being able to create a great experience, right, for for customers. And so um, we have invested quite a bit in how we deal with the fraud problem. And a lot of it has to do with machine learning and analytics that we are running at scale. And that provides for just a better experience for the customer, first and foremost, um, in terms of like making sure things that are valid are approved and things that are bad are, are, are not. Um, and also, you know, keeps the bank safe as well. So it keeps customers safe, keeps the bank safe. It's just a, a great overall um, outcome. So yeah, so we've invested quite a bit uh, in machine learning. Um, everything from, you know, how do we make sure that transactions that are coming in, when you swipe your credit card, that they're valid ones and, and not uh, fraudulent, uh, to looking at the checks. And yes, a lot of people still send checks in. Uh, a lot of people use the mobile app to send checks in or they go to the ATM or the branch. And so people are still using checks. Uh, and we have uh, machine learning algorithms that analyze the checks uh, to make sure that they're valid and not fraudulent. And that the, you know, the signatures look like signatures from that customer, as an example. So there's a lot happening in that uh, arena. And um, uh, there's a lot more that we're still going to be doing with regards to machine learning. And this is like at, at really large scale, right? So I mean, we, we, we are the number one card issuer in the country. And we just uh, you know, from a transaction volume standpoint, uh, name, name it like any category you can probably think of where, you know, the largest or one of the largest. And so being able to apply things like machine learning and build algorithms that run at the scale of the data that we have is frankly just a lot of fun. And, you know, you're creating a great customer experience and keeping people safe at the same time. And so like, there's a lot of things that make that just an exciting space to be in. Are there any products that have rolled out recently or any of like big news headlines that have come out for, for what you guys are doing in the past, you know, three or four months that we want to get some attention for? You know, um, what I would say is like the past year for sure has been super busy and, and largely because of, 
you know, the pandemic and how we had to show up for customers uh, and make sure we were there for them in a significant way. So I'm sure you've heard about things like the, you know, the, the PPP program for small businesses um, and the government rollout of, of stimulus to support small businesses. We had a fair amount of work to do um, to make sure that we could uh, support businesses and get uh, funds out to those businesses so they could pay their uh, employees at a time that was pretty rough you know, for, for the country and those small businesses. We had payment assistance uh, we had to launch, uh, which is like for people who uh, were having a hard time paying um, you know, their auto loan or their mortgage, uh, uh, as an example, how do we help them, uh, or their credit card bill, how do we help them with payment assistance um, and built that as a whole capability. Um, and these are things that were never on any plan. And so we started them literally in the year and had to pivot you know, around and it's why I'm so proud of like our agile operating model and how we, you know, build software here is that we have the ability to be very nimble and very responsive. And we did um, exactly, exactly that. As far as uh, other capability that we've built that is, uh, that's out there and that we continue to improve on and innovate. Uh, and it's actually an interesting intersection with machine learning, which I was referring to earlier, uh, which is something called Snapshot. And Snapshot is a capability that we have. It's in the mobile app. And it's specific to you as a customer. And it gives you uh, trends and insights about your particular financial profile and gives you tips and guidance specific to you and your data. Uh, and so if you log into the mobile app, um, right at the top, when you, after you log in, you would see Snapshot and you'll see all these tiles that give you um, data which is specific to you. And so like, the reason why that's interesting is not only the benefit from the customers is one of the features that we get a lot of positive feedback on, but it's also an element of how we think about personalization um, in terms of how do we make sure that we use the data in a way to give you good insights into your spending trends, into other aspects of your financial uh, sort of life. Um, and so it's more than just, let me see my balance, but now it's you're telling me something very helpful. Uh, and all of that is built on machine learning. It's built on uh, data and analytics. And so being able to do that for you know 50 million customers and, and, and present information specific to one person uh, in the app is definitely just a great uh, overall experience. And that is the sort of where things are heading, which is more personalization, more, um, you know, things which are geared particularly to the person uh, who is logging in and insights and guidance and things like that, that's helpful uh, to you. And so that's just a quick sort of sampling of stuff we did last year during the pandemic, but also things that we have out there right now, which are um, live uh, for, for customers. I'm curious about how you communicate across your organization. I mean, you've got thousands of engineers. They need a leader, right? They obviously have their you know team leads and and directors and VPs. But when you communicate with the organization, do you have someone that like helps you do that, like a head of communications? How do you interact with the organization as an entire entity? Yeah, this is a great a great question and one that I spent a lot of time on. Uh, so yes, we do have a communications team, a, a technology uh, and digital communications team. They're absolutely fantastic. And I want to give them a shout out right now because they're just so good. And uh, we invest in that team because uh, I view it as a critical capability you know, for, for the organization overall. Um, and so what does that mean? There's a variety of things that we do that um, I, I try to do as, a, as an organization uh, for the organization. And when you're leading a team of you know, more than 12,000 people, you got a lot to work through from a communication uh, standpoint. So, for example, uh, I invite junior folks in the organization to senior level meetings. 
um, and they can sit in on those meetings. They get the same materials as everyone else does, um, and they participate and engage in the in the conversations just like anybody else who might report to me directly as an example. And they ask questions and they engage and they have a dialogue. And the reason I do that is because one, to help demystify what is it leaders are doing behind the scenes? Because it, when you're in a large organization, it can kind of seem very large and try to make things small in terms of like, what are those you know, management type people doing? Uh, and so we want to provide some transparency you know, to that. The second thing is the best messenger in the organization isn't me necessarily, it's your peers. Uh, and so like when people hear about what was discussed at one of the meetings they were able to attend and they go back and they share that with our team, it's just a lot more relatable and a lot more, uh, they have a lot more context. And then, you know, uh, third is they're better uh, members of the team because they understand better the journey that we're going on, or they have zoomed out on on some big picture thing because they were able to participate in a senior level meeting. So that's an example of something that we do. Every single week, I send out a, a note uh, to my organization. We call it five minute freestyle, uh, which is, uh, just my thoughts on what's going on, um, some top of mind items, you know, either we'll highlight, you know, hey, we've had this problem and how we should think about that going forward, or here's an element of our strategy and, and how to think about that, or recognizing a team uh, and a team that did something great. I'll just put a few notes in there and we'll, and we'll set it out. And so uh, we got a lot of great feedback on, uh, on 5-Minute Freestyle. It's just a way for folks to stay connected and know directly what I'm thinking about. And, uh, and uh, they also like getting recognized in front of the entire organization for great work uh, that they're doing. And then, of course, you know, we, we do town halls. Um, we, I do a lot of live Q&A sessions with uh, employees. Um, in fact, just before this, uh, this session, I was doing a Q&A session with um, some of our entry-level engineers uh, to hear from them directly, small group. And so I do like small groups of like 20 people um, to hear from them directly give them an opportunity to ask me any questions and share with them our strategy and learn from them in terms of like what we're doing right and where we can be better. Uh, and so we seek a lot of feedback and the communications team helps orchestrate all of this, this stuff. Um, and uh, they're just, they're critical um, to maintaining that sort of fluid information to the organization. So like, I, I think of this as very strategic and very important to like being able to uh, lead an organization at, at scale. I'm glad I asked that question. I just learned a ton. <laughs> That's great. Okay. What are the, in the meeting before, when you're meeting with the new entry engineers, what type of questions are they asking? Yeah, no, it, that's, that's great. Uh, they, you know, Joel, they are asking questions around everything from, um, uh, you know, how should they think about their career and how do they find the next role? Uh, they're asking questions around, uh, how long should they stay technical in their career and when should they pivot to management, um, quote unquote. And uh, that I have a whole spiel on that one for, for sure. My, my short answer is stay technical for as long as you possibly can is my answer to that question. Uh, there's more detail behind that, but they'll ask questions like, um, you know, uh, what technologies are we investing in and what new things are we creating? But they'll also share feedback, things like, Hey, you know, this process seems like it's just not as streamlined as it could be. You know, how do we think about that? Can we make it better? Um, or, you know, I have to use this tool to do my job. It's okay, but it's not the best. Can we make it better? Um, and so, like, they will, they're very open, which is just great. Um, and I think part of the culture is just to create a safe environment for people to share whatever it is they want to 
chair. And uh, it's not like the, the layers of management are there. It's just them and me talking and we just get a chance to hear like, you know, you know, from the, from the, from the folks on the ground, like what is the day of the life every single day, which I love that stuff. I love sort of like figuring out how do we get out of their way? How do we unblock them? How do we remove uh, sort of friction in their day-to-day experience? How do we make it so they can be more productive engineers? How do we make it so that they can deliver more capability to customers faster? Like, and the way we do that is by learning through these sessions. But those are some of the questions. It's like everything from career stuff to, you know, what's going well to what we can improve on as an organization. I love it. Tell me more. Stay technical as long as possible before going to management. I want you to expand on that. <laughs> uh, you know, sometimes people will come to me and say, you know, hey, so I've been coding for two years. Can I get into management now? And I'm like, to manage what? Like to do what? And uh, they're like, well, I want to manage other engineers. I'm like, that's great. But, you know, I do think engineers want to work for people who understand what they're doing. And I think especially in a space where you're building technology for customers um, and you're part of the sort of the revenue generating portion of the organization and you want to be, you know, creating things that um, are differentiating and market differentiating and that sort of thing, you have to be close to the technology. Um, and you have to be able to get into details with your teams and be able to have a conversation and have a point of view and have an opinion and help an engineer understand how they should re- refine their craft. We should be designing it this way. We should think about that architecture. We should think about these sets of tools. We should have this level of discipline. Like those come from being, you know, an expert, being, uh, learning your, your craft. And so, uh, that's why I've always been uh, very focused on making sure we have leaders who are both great people leaders, but great technologists. And so that's why I encourage people to stay technical as long as they can. Um, and at some point, the, the leadership thing will come, but at least at that point, they have had a very good grounding and solid grounding as an engineer. And they're just more credible, frankly, uh, leading other engineers in the organization when they themselves have uh, have that background. And so I just don't want people to jump out too quick thinking they, you know, code for two years and they jump into management. Um, Like I still write software. uh, And the reason I do that is because it helps me stay sharp. It helps me stay relevant. And uh, I think that's just something that, you know, uh, especially in technology and in software engineering, you you need to stay relevant. Things that happened two years ago have changed dramatically. Two years from now, it'll change again. You got to make sure that you're able to keep up. I agree. I was just thinking back as you were talking, I was doing, I pulled up the calculator real quick. It says like 20 years, but <laughs> so I, I've got a solid 17 years plus like programming, right? It's just, it's what I did. It's who I was. And I would say from the beginning, like right at the beginning, I was super headstrong, like, oh, I'm great. <laughs> this is awesome. Around year five, I was like, oh man, I really don't know much. And then I think like between year seven and 10, I felt like comfortable in my skin as like a programmer, like I could hold my own in a conversation. And then I think around year 12, I got to the point where, oh, everything's the same. Like I, I had mastered more than one language. I had this this new perspective of, of code and how it's written and how it's structured. You know, I have uh, preferences on who I learn from, uh, like Fowler. I'm a huge friend, fan of his, um, and and so I, I follow these people. And then I, you get to a point where where you're at the top, and you start realizing that these patterns or systems or methodologies um, are all argued about by the brightest people who've been around for the longest, right? So they've been doing it for 40 years, and then they're arguing about best practices. And you can kind of start to figure out like 
you know, the different camps that exist and, and thoughts and you can have preferences and integrate them into your projects. And so, yeah, I could see how like two years into programming, <laughs> you're not going to have that. You're not even going to have made the big mistakes that you wish you wouldn't have. Exactly. And, and you mentioned Fowler and, and you mentioned some points that, which basically uh, have convinced me over time that technology is a little bit like religion. And so you kind of have to figure out how you navigate these conversations with people because inevitably when you're leading a team of, of, of very smart technologists, you have all sorts of opinions uh, and you got to figure out how to navigate the opinions and kind of get to a, uh, a point of view. But that's the kind of stuff, frankly, for me personally, that I love spending time on with the teams, which is like when we're building stuff for customers, you know, obsessing over the details, like how does this show up from a customer experience standpoint? What does the customer see? Are we designing this thing correctly? Do we have the right domain-driven design? Are we, do we have the right architecture? All of that is sort of like the, the, the stuff that I love debating with the teams. And I feel like if you don't have the technology background and you haven't stayed technical, then it's very difficult for you to engage in that kind of dialogue uh, with, the, uh, with the organization. So I, that's why I've been such a proponent of staying technical for as, uh, as long as you can. Yes, I like it. Well said. I'm glad I, I'm glad I dug into that one. Uh, I'm curious for your direct reports, I'm going to ask you a hypothetical question. Like if you could design the perfect leadership training program for your direct reports, what are the top two or three concepts that you would want in that program? No, it's just great. Uh, and uh, Joel, I appreciate that question, not only for my direct reports, but just for leaders in the organization, but, um, but certainly for senior leaders in the organization, um, I would say there's a few aspects of like what we're looking for and, you know, uh, the, uh, the development program uh, to, 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 to do it. Um, first and foremost, uh, I would say like making sure that people are rooted in the business strategy um, is really important. Uh, and at senior levels, like, yes, you have to have a strong technical background, but you have to understand the business strategy and how you're enabling it and making sure that people appreciate and understand what that strategy is and, and how as technologists, we, we make that happen. Um, there's another point I'll come back to in a minute, which is um, the, the way you work in the organization uh, and how you have the right partnership with the business uh, is critically important. But I'll come back to that point in, uh, in, in, a, in, a, sec in a second. Uh, so I'd say business strategy for, for sure. And then, you know, I'd say second dimension is certainly as technologists, there's always more things for us to learn. And so as much as we think we all know, there's always something more to know. And so how do we make sure that we're up, uh, up on the latest with regards to how we build software and how do we create experiences for, for customers that, you know, leverage all the greatest uh, uh, tech from, from that standpoint. And then third, especially as a senior leadership team, um, and the second thing was really about learning. But the third thing uh, is really about chemistry, which is, you know, I'm always, a, when you're on a team, and especially if you're a senior leader in an organization, you, everyone has their own teams that they're leading. But I've always said that the first team is your team of peers, the team that, you know, uh, that's your first team. And your second team is the team that you directly uh, manage. And the reason for that is, especially when you're trying to, like, solve the big problem, solve something strategic, it really has to do with, you know, your team uh, as your, your peer team. Um, that will go solve those big problems. And so I think an important part of leadership development is also the relationship building and having the right team chemistry across that team so that they you know, feel like they are able to go in there together as a team, as a unit, and solve any problem uh, when, uh, when it comes forward. I want leaders, when they come and sit at, at my table, 
that they're not just focused on their particular area, they're focused on the problem that I'm thinking about as well for the entire organization. Uh, and so keeping that perspective in mind when they're trying to solve a particular problem that they're seeing in their uh, in their area. So there's a number of dimensions to sort of like the qualities that I'm looking for in, uh, in, in leaders in the organization. But I want to go back, you know, to uh, just sort of something I referenced earlier, which is, you know, it's important to have the, the technology background, but it's increasingly more important to figure out how you work with the business. Um, and so what do I mean by that? You know, back in the day, people stood up projects and you'd have a, a project and like you'd figure out how you get this, this project done, um, you know, in the technology organization. But, you know, the, the organizations that move the quickest um, that bring, you know, uh, you know, feature and function to customers faster and provide value faster are, uh, you know, agile software development, but have product teams and a partnership with the business with product owners who understand how to run a product end to end uh, and who work with technology very closely uh, to build, um, you know, uh, uh, build capability for, for customers um, with a very strong point of view around the customer experience and what we're trying to, to create. Because all these things, you know, any button that you see in the app, you know, it seems so simple. It's just a button. Uh, and in fact, we, I gave a whole talk called this just a button, but like people see something very simple. It's a button. But beneath that button is like all sorts of stuff you've got to, you know, build to make that button so simply work. Uh, and so you can, you can have people who just focus on the button or you have product owners who obsess over the entirety of end to end. Uh, and how do you think about bringing the button to life through all the stuff you have to do and, and all the myriad of decisions that you have to make, you know, to make that, that button come to life. And, um, and so we actually have uh, Chase is structured into about 90 product teams. And so we have strong product owners, strong tech leaders, and they are responsible jointly for all of the capabilities uh, that you see at, at Chase. Uh, and so we think that's the best partnership with the business, um, one that allows us to move and pivot very quickly. It's the, it's the reason during the pandemic uh, that we're able to launch things like the PPP program. Uh, we, we launched that in like 14 days, less than 14 days, I think it's 10 days. Uh, we went from nothing to a full uh, you know, offering digitally available to customers. And uh, we had a billion dollars of loans done in a week. Um, and uh, that to do that means that you have to have a really great partnership between the business and technology um, and a real sense of purpose and mission, and which is what that product team um, is, is focused on. So like, yes, even institutions um, uh, like ours, the long history uh, operate like digital native companies that you see uh, out there in terms of how they build uh, and deliver capability to, uh, to customers. Well, it sounds really exciting and your culture is awesome. And I, I'm a fan of you, my friend, as an individual. Um, I'm curious, people that want to learn more about potentially working at Chase or working with you, uh, how would they go about that? Yeah, uh, lots of ways. Um, one, I'm on LinkedIn and people, you know, ping me all the time. And so uh, happy to always uh, engage like that. We obviously also have a pretty extensive uh, technology blog on, uh, on, our, on our site at jpmorganchase.com or jpmorgan.com. There's a, a technology blog um, as well. Uh, and also our careers page uh, that's there and people can learn more about uh, what we're doing. But we also do presentations at a number of industry conferences you know, our technologists are out there. You can probably find them by searching JP Morgan Chase on YouTube uh, and on Google. You'll find videos of presentations that we've done, uh, content that we have out there. 
stuff that we published on AWS uh, with Amazon, the work that we're doing there around data and machine learning. So like we're out there quite a bit and you can reach out to any of us uh, to learn more about what we're doing. I love it. I love it. Do you have like a chief evangelist for technology or is that you? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I think to some degree it's probably me. Um, But what I would say is like a lot of people in the organization um, evangelize what we're doing here. Uh, You know, we have a lot of people sharing out there. We have a lot of people presenting, putting stuff on social media and LinkedIn. And it's because we're so excited about all the things that we're doing, the chance that we get to work on great technology, the culture that we have around lots of collaboration, people first uh, environment, and the ability to work on something that really matters to people, which is their finances. And so uh, I'd say like a lot of people are are out there evangelizing and, uh, you know, very proud to be here every single day. I love it. And last thing as we wrap up, because we're coming up on time here, am I, am I right to understand you, like Chase has a programming bootcamp? You have your own bootcamp? We do. Uh, we do. And in fact, um, uh, that was the, the session I was doing just before this one. Um, it's a session called, it's a group that we call Tech Connect. Uh, and so uh, what we do is we take folks who, who don't necessarily have a computer science background Maybe they had a math background or a biology background or art background or something else. And they want to go pivot into software engineering. And we invest in them and we put them through a training program. Uh, and we have various types of these. So some of them start out with like, you know, the beginning of like, how do you write, you know, Java and how do you, uh, how do you code uh, all the way to like our, how do you work in the Chase specific environment? How do you use our CICD pipeline? How do you, you know, build and deploy software? you know, what are the frameworks we use, all that sort of stuff. And so, yes, we take people from like learning how to code all the way to uh, being productive members of our of our engineering teams. And so we invest quite a bit um, in that development. We have live sort of events that we do, uh, something we call Power Up, where, you know, we uh, bring our best technologists together and do like live training and hands-on labs and things to help people, you know, uh, learn something new or refine a particular area that they're interested in. So there's a significant amount of investment that we have um, in terms of people being able to develop uh, their skills. And it's all it's all the skills that you know people want, which is you want to learn about you know the, the cloud, great. You want to learn about machine learning and advanced analytics, great. Uh, whatever the topic is, we have that and we're building that. Uh, and so people get a chance to learn that um, here at the firm. I love it. You know I've I've gotten to go around the country and visit different like IT people um, and organizations. And there was actually one that stood out to me. I think it was in um, uh, Nashville, Tennessee. And what they did was they had this huge like government or like county type local government uh, mission initiative where they were taking people from the service industry and retraining them. And then their model was, uh, I think like a recruiting model, they would have relationships with other companies. But I love the creativity and you guys just saying, hey, let's just do this ourselves. The reason why, like another benefit um, that we've had by doing it uh, that way, and do, we, we partner with um, nonprofit boot camps around the country um, and we work with them uh, as well. And we have our own sort of like training programs that we have uh, in-house. But one thing that I think is really interesting is, um, you know, we have a very strong focus on diversity, equity, and inclusion. And so like, that's a big, you know, it's important to me personally and important as a, as a, as a firm. But one thing that's been interesting about these programs is that when we open the aperture and we focus on talent from different backgrounds, we actually get more diverse representation, you know, from the talent that is coming uh, into the firm. And so 
it not only you know advances our ability to hire more people, it also advances our ability to hire different representation um, and different diverse backgrounds. And when you're building an app for millions of customers, you want to make sure that your employee base looks like the customers that you're serving, because how better to make sure that you've thought through everything uh, and to make sure that you're thinking about the right customer experience when you have a, a team that looks like and represents the experiences of the customers that you're serving. And so I think about you know, DE&I in that lens, which is it's a really important part of being able to serve customers effectively is having a uh, also having a uh, diverse uh, workforce. Yeah, and in your line of business more so than most because you guys serve the entire public, right? You're not just you're not like a SaaS tool just serving software developers. Uh, you are you're you serve everybody that can open a bank account, and so yeah, I think that that's one of the better places to to talk about the DEI. Like I like it. Yeah, it's been a huge focus for us. Like I said, it's something that I'm personally invested in. I spent a lot of time. And we do things like foster open communications, you know, in the, uh, in the, in the, in the, in the, in the firm, we've had open conversations about racism and what it means to people who've been, who have had to grow up with uh, challenging experiences. And what I've heard by doing these conversations is that, you know, people have gone through diversity type training for, for years and why it's important. But when they hear it from a fellow colleague, and they hear about some of the things that people have to deal with and why we need to be sort of better appreciate why this is so important. That personal interaction is more impactful than 10 years of diversity training ever will be. And so like making it a safe place for people to have the conversation, to be able to share their personal experiences, you know, be able to have the conversation about like what's going on out there and why it's important to them. Um, that's part of the culture uh, that we have here. And I think it's important to like have that inclusive environment that allows people to uh, be able to feel safe to have that dialogue. Yeah, I like the way you articulated that. I'm gonna I'm gonna listen back to that later <laughs> and copy that and share that with other people. But um, yeah, I, I last night for the first time I watched this uh, Netflix special with this uh, lady named Brene Brown. I think is her name. Have you heard of her before? What special is this? Uh, I don't know. It was just I think it was just called like Brene Brown. I hope I'm saying her no, name I right. I haven't. Uh... Yeah, no, I haven't uh, haven't heard of that one. But she talks about vulnerability. She's like a shame researcher, <laughs> but she talks about like vulnerability and you know courage and how they're connected. And one of the things in that Netflix talk that she had, and I highly recommend it too. It's it's really good. But one of the things she had was having the comp like the DEI type conversations, and she really articulated it well. And so um, I'll pass that along to you. Yeah, no, it'd be great. Always uh, always looking for different people's views on this topic. Um, and, uh, you know, it's just an important part of the culture and, and the environment and an environment that people want to, to be in and to be a part of. Yes. Well, man, we did it. Rohan, we made a podcast. How do you feel? Oh, this is great. Uh, Joel, it's been great having a chat with, with you and, and for, for folks who are listening, um, I, you know, obviously I just want to put a mention out there that we're hiring like crazy. Um, and so, uh, we have roles across the country where uh, I can't hire fast enough. Um, and in fact, uh, I am not constrained by, by anything other than my ability to hire uh, people uh, in a quality uh, and diverse way uh, into, the, uh, into the organization. And so there's lots of opportunity uh, here at Chase. And we are absolutely uh, focused on investing in technology and digital and using that to transform the customer experience. And so we're open is what, I would, uh, is what I'd say.
Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this episode useful, please share it with a friend or a colleague who you think would get value from it. And if you have topics that you would like to hear discussed on the podcast, either add me on LinkedIn or send me an email, joel at moderncto.io. Every time I get an email or LinkedIn message, it absolutely makes my day and inspires me to keep going.